Uh, we love Vogue's popping in uh, and uh, talking some ball with us. Brandon looks at it with the uh, the beer being half full. It's Saturday. There's no start time. That's what makes it special and fun. <laughs> uh, good on you, Brandon. Um, so, Brandon's asking, is Cranek going to give us a rundown of Daytona? What happened to the 47? I think Eric um, has all that lowdown for us. Got caught up in a late wreck, finished 31st. Yeah, this, this, so. was, this was brutal. I was I was rooting hard for Stenhouse. He was my adoptive driver last weekend. Thank you, Eric, for, for sending us that jersey again. Uh, and this, this was tough. We're talking about, what was it, just over 10 laps to go. Uh, you have the big one at Daytona, and, and Stenhouse had dropped to the back of the pack just a little bit. Um, didn't like how the leaders were racing, I believe is what the team radio said. And uh, he was navigating his way through the big one and just got clipped on the back right and ended up getting uh, getting spun, got hit from behind. It was uh, it was tough to see as a guy who really thought he was racing well. He was back up into the top ten, was kind of biding his time all race long. So, Eric, we were rooting for you. At least I was. I'm not sure if anyone else was, but I was rooting for Stenhouse. The Stenhouse no, we wanted, we wanted Stenhouse and, to, uh, to get his hand that, that, that was tough. I was I was a little bit disappointed. When I, was, I was sitting here in the studio watching, and you see the big one and – First thought is, I'm going to Stenhouse. Is he all right? And uh, he was fine from a, a medical point of view, but he just mm. got clipped on that back right, and it was it was kind of tough to see. I was I was thinking he if he would have made it through that, he would have had a good chance to go back-to-back at Daytona. But, alas, that's racing for you. Vogue's uh, 63 days till the spring game because the countdown always is on, and you've got a lot of things going on. You've got a uh, – countersuit from Tennessee and that is interesting there was uh, some news on that yesterday and uh, first and foremost gloves are off it looks like looks like with the NCAA and their ability to govern some things you got the EA Sports here's some money be on the video game news this week and uh, oh yeah by the way Matt Rule made one and two, not just one, but two appearances at uh, coaching clinics this week. Our friends Mark Waller and Jim Hansen did the Lincoln Football Coaches Association uh, Wednesday. They had Rule and Coop and Glenn Thomas out there. Well, the Omaha Coaches Clinic had uh, Coach White, and uh, a couple of other coaches, I don't remember the exact names in Omaha, but Rule was there to say what's up, hang out a little bit, and then get in his car and go do the same thing. We were talking with Mitch Sherman about this earlier this week, but the dedication's great, and the talent pool keeps growing in uh, the state of Nebraska, outside the metro and inside the metro. Pretty uh, pretty cool to see the coaches and hear the coaches response to to rule and what he does and that's give him time and give him time and just spend time with them yeah it was actually <clears throat> just reading mitch's mitch's story at the athletic uh b- before i came on i didn't quite make it to the end yet um so <laughs> apologies if i if i missed something that in the, in the half that i haven't read but really good story you know it stuck out to me it seems like kind of an obvious message when you stop and think about it but it's one I don't think you hear very often from from coaches. Um, you know, according to to Mitch's write up, you know, 
rule was out there saying we need to make football fun and and in an era where you're seeing decreased participation um yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense but a lot of times i think football classically uh, not that it matters like what it was like in in when i was in high school forever ago but like you know it was kind of that rite of passage thing the two a days thing where it's like yeah this has to be hard and you have to kind of hate it which i think there's there's value in those things certainly um but if you if you want to kind of secure secure participation going forward yeah make it a little bit make it a little bit fun and i mean i think we're seeing that happen at nebraska too he's not just talk rules not just talking about at the high school level with that well here's a question in matt rules first 15 months on the job talks about making football fun obviously in reference to his players the guys in the team but has it been fun for you the fan people sitting at home watching on tv has matt rule made husker football more fun <laughs> that's a that's a great question um and i'd be interested in in what the fans thought about that um because you know there's such a there's such a spectrum of uh people out there that for a lot of people i think uh, or maybe not a lot for definitely there was a section that was like uh five and seven a bunch of a bunch of close losses this is kind of the the same thing again right that said i think you'll there you go um that said i think you'll always give a coach kind of the benefit of the doubt um in, in a year one scenario so so for the people that were a little bit more willing to to i guess live with live with a couple of losses now uh yeah i think i think it, i think it was fun but it, it's interesting because it's not like the the, the no-brainer answer to that would be like yeah they went eight and four or they went nine and three you know uh a, a kind of bo pelini type first year that definitely, I think, would have been considered fun then. Mr. Cranack is with us, a.k.a. Punctual Pete. You're good. That was we my were... nickname growing up. That's... Yeah, I'm sure. We, we yeah. were. Uh... For some reason, I don't believe that. No, we, huh. we had computer problems at the, uh, the home office, so we're good. Vogues is in with us. Vogues beat us here. We're talking about the topic. That is of, not of... good. When the guest beats you to yeah. your own show. You well, think. that's the that's the scope of the computer problems. So, yeah. uh, is football fun or making football fun a topic that we're on? Is is Matt Rule doing that? He spoke about it at uh, the coaches' clinics this week. He uh, spent time out in Lincoln and Omaha, and uh, Big Red Junkies nailed it with their comment just a little bit ago that winning is fun, guys. You know how much goes into football. The fact that there's spring football, the fact there's winter conditioning, there's summer conditioning, there's four practices and 80 walkthroughs and 400 meetings, and you get one game. <laughs> I mean, all the yeah. work you have to put in for it uh, for, for 60 plays, 70 plays. If you're running hurry up, maybe uh, you get 75 or 80 plays, right? And there's only 11 of you. There's one quarterback. There's one running back. So what, did, did Rule make football fun in year one? I think the defense was a ton of fun to watch. They were a lot of fun to watch. I loved watching them tackle. Uh, that also goes to winning the football. The defensive side of the football gave you an opportunity to win every Saturday for the most part. Kept you in about every ball game you were in. The offense that was not fun to watch. 
Uh, there, there were moments where you hit a big play, and that was fine. Unless you're like uh, a masochist or something, you know. They're... Sure. Yeah. But <laughs> you, you've, had, you've had just, all right, how are they going to score here? I mean, that, I don't know about you guys, but, oh, yeah, throw it deep to, to Malachi or, or, or Jalen. <laughs> yeah, or or let, let, let Harbert keep it on an option. Let it run. So one side of the football was absolutely fun to, to watch. The other side, they're working on it is my point, but rules attitude and communication ability makes this thing fun to cover again. I think you are kind of hitting on the key challenge, not just for rule, but for, for football coaches in general. Um, And, you know, there's only a couple places in the country where maybe this, this isn't the case. And I think if that's, those are, those are anomalies, like broadly speaking, when you just lay out like, all the practices, all the off-season workouts, um, like just the sheer time commitment, all for the 60, 70 plays you get on Saturday, like you got to really love doing that. And then when you think about it from particularly with Nebraska, which carries a larger roster size, how do you make that the case for 120 guys um, where it's everybody wants to come there? I think it's it sent me back to one of the first things Rule said about he just wants the guys to be around each other and, and like hanging around each other i think that's probably the key way to do it and, and you know that's tough to do to do too to get 120 people all to to like each other perfectly but um you get as close as you can and uh so i think you know it a lot of what we've heard from rule um you can kind of see the philosophy behind it and and it, and it just makes some simple sense you know and probably a part of it too that you're not able to he, he probably wouldn't say out loud, at least not right now. But right now, the kids are getting paid for the first time in their lives, something that they've obviously worked pretty hard on through, through junior high, through high school, just to get to this point. Now somebody's paying them for it with, like, some cool uniforms. <laughs> like It might be pretty easy. Not, not easy, but pretty easy to get motivated, to get ready to roll and have some fun with that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's – uh, I hadn't thought of that angle to it but that's that's key piece of it too like how many more people does does that keep involved because it's never gonna nothing's fun all the time of course um there are gonna be days (laughs) where it's like uh, i guess we got to get up and do this even though this is the thing i've worked my entire life to do um and if you (laughs) there there are different ways to be compensated for that work and for the first time in ncaa's long history uh actually being compensated is on the table I, I was, you know, punk, punctual Pete was a little late today, surprisingly. So I don't know if we got into that yet. The NCAA, uh, the, the court ruling against the NCAA, which lifted kind of all limits on boosters. Have we gone there yet? I, we I wanna... we threw the, the line in the water. We were going to, to go that direction uh, yeah. for sure. Okay. I think we just got there. Yeah, we did. We did. I I think it just steered us in that direction. I I have. So I have got uh, a moment of silence here for all the bag men. Johnny football called out this week on the Shannon Sharp podcast Mm. because now you don't need them anymore. Mm -mm. (laughs) No, they can just be open. They're, they're, that's a whole yeah. career, just a whole field of jobs down the drain. That's NCAA a sk- football bag man, man. It's like it's like the it's like the the, the wolf in uh, in Pulp Fiction. Listen, the, in these the folks, ultimate fixture. They no longer have to live in shame and in the shadows. 
They can I would be say right shadow. out there front. Was, there was no shame. Well, obviously there wasn't any of that. And for folks that just don't that don't know, but it was uh, a court ruling which said, "Hey, NCA, which has been trying to regulate and trying to have some sort of order within NIL, saying you can't you can't take money from boosters or any or anybody like that until you sign your letter of intent. And then once you do that, you're free to do it." NCA is like, "No," or uh, the court's like, "No." That's not how the free market works. Like, you know, like, and, th- and that's something that people forget, you know, as we're talking about all this is like free market society, free market society, free market society. Like you can't do insider trading outside of that. You know, you can't sell drugs outside of that. <laughs> you can kind of, you know, make money. However, from whoever, if somebody wants to give you money, they can, you better just report it and you better pay taxes on it. I mean, those are kind of the rules. So that's all lifted now. The, the, Brandon, there was a lot of doomsday commentary after that for the NCAA as an institution, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, is 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 that overblown, like the demise of the entire organization of the NCAA? Or are you buying into that a little bit? Like this is sort of another another reason why the NCAA itself is going to no longer exist here and soon. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's quite the death blow that it was portrayed um, in some cases. In, I guess my my thought is is this ruling is kind of residual from previous leadership at the NCAA, uh, where. They basically waited until the night before the test to to do anything at all as far as NIL. You know, that was that was clearly coming, meaning they they waited for some sort of legislative solution to it. <laughs> the federal government said, no, we're, we're going to stay out of this one. And, and it was basically, you know, at that point, Nebraska's uh, NIL law went into effect that day. There were a handful of others. Um, and it was just it was like totally totally chaos there was there was nobody minding the store ncaa has come back in and is now trying to mind the store and essentially the ruling the other day was like no you still need to to get your stuff together and figure out what you're going to be i think the new ncaa president charlie baker um with his history as as a politician essentially maybe there's a chance that he can kind of plot a new course um but it's clear that everything that comes came to this point um they're still waiting for the ncaa to basically come up with its own solutions i guess is is what yesterday said to me my two cents on the ncaa and their authority or authority um is that they have for years printed money uh under the the nonprofit umbrella, even though they've been for profit, and uh, they have controlled the NCAA tournament. They've controlled all aspects. It took, you know, the the bowl coalition, or it took the college football playoff, you know, uh, breaking breaking off to t- to have their own rules and have their own um, arms around the money. So. And they have just continued to kick the can down the road concession-wise 
so they can keep some of their properties and keep earning their money. That's it. They, they have not cared until they've had to care about students, student athletes and, and money. And, and they have been very flimsy with their enforcement because they've not hired more people to be able to enforce. I mean, they've just tried to, to stay in power and they've conceded where they've needed to concede the last 20 years. And um, away you go. Uh, they're, uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad they're, they're going away. And is, is the new boss going to be better? I don't know, but people are going to get paid. We'll see if this sport survives. So, okay. I think this is an important discussion, though. I, I know what you're saying. And the NCAA is like easy to vilify, to hate on. Sure, sure. But I just roll my. I guess Cranek, we're in college, right? And you and I are starting out in this industry. And what was the big? Oh no! Well, they were gonna they were gonna bench Crouch for a year because they had a ham freaking sandwich. ham sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, totally. somebody down in the SEC is driving a Trans Am, <laughs> and he's playing every day. The Okay, the, but the thing the thing that gets overlooked a lot in this discussion, I think, the, the NCAA exists at the at sort the of at the, of the pleasure of the universities, yeah. like and the it's, presidents and the pre right, like they, it is a representative body that the schools themselves created to regulate themselves. Right. So there's no set. So it's, no, it's a, like it's, it's like the Tobacco Institute in the movie. Thank you for smoking. It's the Tobacco Institute started by the tobacco companies. It's, I mean, that's what it is. So like the schools can be as critical as they want towards the NCA, which they opt into. Right. Like it's 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 their legislative body. It's their rules, <laughs> right? So, like, you're crit you're sort of critic. It's like I guess if you're in high school or something, it's maybe you getting pissed at your student council, or sure. it's or it's similar to like maybe as a voter, you being like, yeah, Congress pisses me off, right? Like, okay, but it's your, it's your vote, it's your government. That's your vote. Mm -hmm. That's your thing. So I I wonder if the NCA's name is so soiled at this point. The brand is so, like, watered down and so universally disliked. You just kind of got to rebrand the thing because you're going to have man, some. You're going to have you some, need some governing body. You need some governing yeah. body. Yeah. But what what do you At guys the pleasure want? Of the schools. Well, does it yeah, not What do you want feel, from a governing body standpoint? Does it not feel though like with the the direction like like the the lack of respect that the NCAA kind of gets from the the college football media landscape and, and seemingly the teams it almost feels like we're bound for and we talked about Andrew Jackson on President's Day and I'm going to go back to history. I'm a big history guy. I love it. Um it was Andrew Jackson who famously, I believe it was uh Court Justice Marshall, I believe. Uh, they made a ruling that Andrew Jackson didn't like, and he essentially said, uh, the courts made their ruling, now let them enforce it. I think that's a point we're going to come down to at some point in time, whether it's the, the Big Ten and SEC advisory committee, or maybe it's just a school, that eventually I think the NCAA is going to make a ruling, and someone's just going to say, eh, well, we don't like you, we're not going to listen to it. Like, I feel like that's the direction we're headed in, despite the fact that, as Mark says, like... The, the schools are the ones that kind of made the NCA. They're the ones that, that set up the governing body. 
yet it just feels like we're bound for a time that somebody is going to feel more powerful than the than the NCA as a whole, and you think that's going to be SEC and Big Ten. They're going to say, all right, you've made a rule and enforce it. We're going to go play or whatnot, right? Is, is that and you need us, bound? by the way, because people watch us. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I think – I think the NCAA, while not perfect, uh, of course, broadly works for every sport except FBS football, where it really, <laughs> that's even more of kind of a, yeah, we'll agree to to use your rules because we need somebody to write the rules and enforce them. But that's really kind of it. Um, and as college football already at the top level, at the top of the top level, um, I mean, we know, we, we see where this is headed. Between the Big Ten and the SEC, it already looks like very professional. And, and we're just barely into the the 12-team playoff era, the, the transfer portal era, the NIL era. So that I could see, you know, as power probably continues to consolidate, the Big Ten and the SEC basically be like, yeah, we're going to create – you'd basically be creating a new NCAA. As, as To Mark's point, yeah. like everybody opted into this for a reason. It's because you need some some regulation. Right. Could you do that for the FBS subdivision as a whole? Maybe. It's a lot easier to do if if you're talking about maybe the top 30 or 40 teams that are like, yep, these are this is who we're going to hire essentially to uh, create and police the sport, and, and that's what we're going with. Re- rebranded like Players United or something like that. Yeah. Like, oh, this is great now. Yeah, it's clear what they stand well, for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you 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 would probably see if if yeah. we got to a, a, an era where we're like there's a subdivision above the football bowl, the subdivision that's just the top forty teams or whatever. You would probably see a players union type of thing because that's very important, you know, for for the professional leagues. Now they don't have to worry about you know recruiting piece of it, which helps, but a player's union becomes kind of your your check on on the rules that are in place. And that's kind of the, the story that you can combine with this this hmm. this court ruling from this week. It was a couple weeks ago, a court ruled that the Dartmouth men's basketball team was allowed to unionize as they were considered employees of the university, which I don't ne- think necessarily got the run. It was somewhat expected that that was going to be the ruling, but I don't think that necessarily got the the national media attention that maybe it should for the the magnitude of the fact that a court ruled, you know what, this is, you, these guys are being uh, essentially treated as employees of the university, therefore they're allowed to unionize. That was a big ruling that kind of got swept under the rug. It's not a fun story, but it is really interesting in how it can shift the landscape of college football and college sports as a whole. Mm. Well, and yet Dartmouth, that's private Ivy League and away you go, but it's, it's you know, step one for... Exactly a bigger university and, and public university to, to go that route if they want. But, you know, we're on kind of a new frontier with where this world's going. And all we really want is give me a money 11 o'clock game. Give me a money 2.30 game. I need a 6 p.m. I need an 8 p.m. And I need an after dark. I need five to six really awesome games 12 times a year. Vie for a playoff spot. What's that? Why stop at 12? The NFL's figured out 17 with a smaller uh, roster. What's what's that path to the playoff look like where we're currently sitting as it looks more NFL-ish? And what's our roster and talent level look like? Can you compete to be in the the mix in November? (laughs) Can you be 
the top four team, let's just say, in the Big Ten, year in and year out. Not every year is going to be a playoff appearance if you're Nebraska, but get to that point in time where you're you're, you're good enough to be. So that's 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 the here and now. But it's going to continue to you know zoom out and and grow. And if if you, if Nebraska has the ability to control their own finances, uh, recruiting, talent evaluation, and then acquisition of said talent, now under new rules, good. This is back to the advantages Nebraska used to have when it came to strength and conditioning, being on TV three times a year, and not only uh, strength and conditioning, but the, the, the talent evaluation and acquisition. So Nebraska needs uh, an advantage. They've got it now through their NIL and this court ruling if they want it. Brandon, would you say that? You remember, Brandon, when uh, we first were talking about all this, when NIL was first kind of being spoken of, and, you know, it transpired pretty quickly, I'd say, when all of a sudden it became real, July 21, I believe. Um, And, you know, Wild West, of course, right away. But at that time, when that came out, when, you know, the Big Ten's new TV contracts came out, uh when the recruiting calendar and and some of the recruiting rules were shifted around. Remember us talking about how, man, it really seems like all of these changes like truly benefit Nebraska and gets Nebraska back in the game. Well, here we are three years later, two and a half, I guess, two and a half years after these sort of tectonic shifts that kind of let the blue bloods get back in the game. Um, or drive them starting, out. Yeah. Are, are, are we, it, we're right. Are, are we starting to see that, though? You know, are we starting to see that with the level of talent Nebraska's able? Look at Riola. Um, are we starting to see that? Are we starting to see the fruits of – because this stuff wouldn't change overnight, of course. It's not like you just go from three and nine Mike Riley or whatever to Natty the next year. But are we starting to see a lot of these tectonic shifts benefit Nebraska, Nebraska taking advantage of them? Yeah, I don't know if I, I would say I see it yet. It might just be – it might be too early, but just to the talent acquisition part of it and thinking about it, not just from Nebraska, but broadly. And, again, it's only been, what, two, three, four recruiting cycles at this point. Like, is there a team that used to recruit, like, between 15 and 25th and is now the last three years has been in the top 10. I can't think of one like these teams. It's, it's really hard, I think, to kind of shake out of your traditional recruiting tier or zone. And, and even if Nebraska, you know, does benefit somewhat from some of these these changes in theory, I, I don't know that it's going to the change is going to be pretty slight, I guess, would be my point. Like. I don't, I don't see Nebraska because I, you know, it was ready to go and it's, it's a program and a athletic department that has, you know, almost essentially always operated in the black. Um, in one of our conversations with Trev Alberts, you know, he, he mentioned this and he's like, now that could be an advantage, like, uh, to be a program that is essentially stable, um, doesn't require, you know, it doesn't rely on fees, all of these various things that could play into it, but 
at the end of the day, Nebraska's probably going to recruit like Nebraska mostly has. You can you can mm-hmm. bump that up a little bit. And I mean, some of this makes me think of Matt Rule too. Like the player who's out there who's like, I'm taking these five official visits. Whoever makes me the best offer, that's where I'm going. I don't know how many of those guys even like end up on Nebraska's radar sort of for that reason. And I don't mean it's, it's, it's a negative. It makes that, that player, you know, a bad person. Uh, everybody's situations are different. I just don't know that it's the the type of guy that rule seeks out a whole lot. And I would suspect that will be the case continuing. We'll get to some Husker basketball in a minute. Brandon Vogel with us from counter Reed, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt weekend edition of Hale varsity radio. But I'm just you. You said something there, Vogues, with with the answer about who who kind of just jumped on the scene and became good, right? How did how did SMU do it? We, the second SMU reference uh, this week for us with Pony Excess, right? They were sick of getting their ass kicked in the S, the Southwestern Conference. They put a payroll together. They went and acquired talent very illegally. <laughs> <laughs> and they got amazing. They started winning ball games. They went eleven and one for God's sake. And then all their peers is like, dude, how are you doing it? Oh, that's right. You're doing it the way we're doing it, allegedly. And you're just better at it. So how do you get on the scene and then stay on the scene? Well, we know what SMU did. Old Miss under Kiffin and some of the other hits and misses before Kiffin. They've kind of stabilized as a top 10 to 15 to 20 program, right? They jumped on board. Colorado really built up under McCartney because they followed the Nebraska model. And and, uh, Oregon, because of the the Nike backing and branding, uh, they were able to 23, 23 years ago finally you know, get Uncle Phil to, to really go all in. So those are about three or four programs I think of that, you know, found their way to, uh, to, to you know, the group A and stay. And you know what? It, it's interesting to see if Nebraska can, can do that again uh, because of the history and the resources and the passion. I mean, all those ingredients are there. You just need someone to manage it and coach it. And it looks like the management side's there, and it looks like the coaching side's there. So Nebraska can can be um, on that uh, that tier level again in short order. But uh, it, it doesn't happen real often where you just kind of bang up here out of nowhere, fellas, uh, with, with this. But the time is now to do it. I mean, this is your window. It's open. Yeah, I mean, the, the best example from a small sample size that we have of, like, what you can do now might be that Texas A&M class that, you know, everybody was quick to say. Well, I mean, there was there were there was a system behind it that was scoring this, but, like, the greatest recruiting class ever signed or the highest rated. And that's one where you're like, okay, that might just be, like, the impact of these changes. Texas A&M, a school with a fiercely devoted alumni base, um, a lot of money. And you can pay, you can, you can get out there and be, be a competitor on a just financial front. And all of a sudden Texas A&M, which I'm guessing is probably, probably averages like 
nine to 15 in terms of its mm-hmm. recruiting classes over its entire history, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's, it's number one and, and running away from the field. Um, that's an example I think of like, okay, this is just different. Like you can do this different now. And, and I do think, you know, with Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M obviously had other things going on too, but say that, say that happened to Nebraska. Just like, yeah, they're, they're at an Ohio powerhouse and all of a sudden they got the second ranked recruiting class in the country. It becomes one of those, I think, careful what you wish for type of things. Mm-hmm. Like so much of this, like, again, it goes back to kind of this range bound recruiting idea. Like Nebraska is always going to kind of be, uh, it's, it's not going to be Georgia, Alabama from a, from a talent perspective, I don't think. And if it suddenly became that, uh, does it, does it know, <laughs> do, do you know what to do with that? I guess becomes a question. So, and that's an interesting topic too, because we, you know, the, the heyday that you have to go back to when it, it was all clicking for Nebraska and they were the elite of the elite mid nineties, right? Mid to late nineties, the most recent time that it was like that, you know, the talent level on Nebraska's team was pretty serious um, but would you say that it was still based on diamonds in the rough? It was still fit and, above and, all. And, yeah, fit and like uber development and just clinically precise coaching. <laughs> was that still kind of the diff- difference? Culture. I mean, that was huge. Yeah, it's it's you know, I <laughs> a couple of years ago, like I that was kind of one of my chief obsessions in terms of research because there were recruiting rankings prior to like 2002 they were just scattered and you know it was a guy in chicago doing them and a guy in miami doing them and um it it it, it was harder to evaluate kids obviously at, at a level so nebraska knowing like what nebraska did recruiting wise under tom osborne in like terms we would use today, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to understand. So I think all the things you mentioned, Mark, were Nebraska's actual advantages, like to the best of my knowledge, and I, I've, I've looked pretty hard for all of these ratings. Like I would say Nebraska was, it was higher in terms of it's like base recruiting level than what it's at now, but it was never, you know, one, two, three, four, five in the country. Like it wasn't Alabama of, of 1992, you know? Okay. So the development piece of it, kind of the curveball of, of how Nebraska played um, was, was part of it, but also like the quality of the coaching of not just the system, but how well they were able to run it um, were, were probably the big advantages, you know, once we get past mm-hmm. strength and conditioning and all those things. And the team that might yeah. best represent that, and Brandon, I know we got to get you out. We got Gary Sharp standing by in the green room ready to jump in, but the team might, but that may best replicate that represent that now has been Michigan over the past couple of years. You look at their 2020 class, which had guys Blake Corum, Roman Wilson, uh, you had Zinter, you had Chris Jenkins, like a lot of players that were really featured in this year's championship team and last year's college football playoff team. That was a class that did not have any five stars, finished number 12 in the country in the recruiting rankings, depending on where you look. Like, not what you'd expect whenever you think of a, a team that's winning the college football playoff, winning a national championship. You think of that being like a top five recruiting class. Don't get me wrong. Very solid recruiting class from Michigan, but it was about fit. It was about development, and you, you see the results. That's kind of the school that represents to me what how Nebraska kind of did it in the 1990s. 
Superior scouting as well. Superior scouting. Uh-huh. I mean, that also helps. Zinter's one of the best offensive linemen in the country. It's offensive guard spot, so you might not get that represented in an NFL draft, especially given his injury. But he was one of the best offensive linemen in college football for the past two seasons. Three-star recruit. Yeah, I would agree with that, Elijah. I think Michigan of the past three years is probably like – the ideal example of, of Nebraska three, four, five years ago. And what was that year six for Harbaugh that 2021. Um, so it, it takes a while and, and, you know, and that Michigan, you know, traditionally finishes ahead of Nebraska in, in the recruiting rankings. But to your point, like they weren't, they weren't Ohio state, Georgia, Alabama, like they weren't, they weren't quite that level. So it made uh and then it's it's part of what made this this past national championship game so interesting is because both of those teams like totally broke all of the recruiting rules that we've come to kind of accept. And I have a, a thought here, and Brandon, if you're willing to hang on, I'd love to get both your you and Gary's thoughts on this kind of on this recruiting topic. Um, as we welcome the Iron Horse Gary Sharp to the show, Gary, good morning, good to see you. You're you're missing out in the hat game, but uh, I'll, I'll throw this question to you, Brandon. <laughs> we'll get you out on this. Do you think that that given Matt Rule and his rebuild, what he's brought in in his first two recruiting classes, obviously the, the crown jewel being a five-star quarterback, one of the top in the country in Dylan Ryle. Do you think that what he does over the next three to four seasons with these first two classes will dictate what his ceiling is as the head coach at Nebraska? Because you got to get it rolling quick, especially with the talent you've brought in to take advantage of some momentum if you do want to hop up a tier in those recruiting rankings and hop up and, and be one of the players in recruiting it. Cause Brandon, as you said, it's difficult to move up tiers in college football recruiting. You, you tend to be, you are what you are, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair to say. Um, you know, these, the, in coaching tenures in general, I think those, those first two recruiting classes, like, you and it's it's hard to know it's still too early to know at nebraska but like were you right in your evaluations um was your plan like what you actually then went out and executed in terms of how you're going to play and the type of players you needed those first two recruiting classes i think tell you and it's it's why it's important to have success early on um because then you don't, you know, if that success doesn't come, then you, you start reaching a little bit um, or you can for, for coaches and things get, things get, get difficult in a hurry. I mean, Harbaugh like making his jump in what year six, that doesn't happen very often. A lot of coaches, cause a lot of coaches don't make it to six. So mm-hmm. those first two coaching two recruiting classes then become critical in like, Hey, I'm going to be here four or five years to continue building on this. Bogues, what's going on with Counter Read? Tell us how to subscribe. And I know you spent uh, time in your Friday column on Husker Hoops. Yeah, um, that'll probably be a lot in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be it's going to be fun with the position Nebraska's in right now, but uh, never never a given with with the Huskers. So that'll amp up in the the weeks ahead. There'll be continuing some some football deep dives uh as well you can check that out at at counterread.com uh it's twice weekly newsletter you can sign up for free try it out for a little bit if you'd like and uh we'd also of course love to have anyone as a paid subscriber as well it's awesome Uh, i am a proud paid subscriber and it is just fantastic get my little newsletter 
uh, as Vogue said, a couple times a week and always great uh, content and thought-provoking for sure and entertaining. Vogue, you take care and enjoy your Saturday, man. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Appreciate you. There he is.